I told my wife that for the season of Advent, we're going to do our preaching from up here. And she said, why? And I said, because I want to feel important. <laughs> it's not working, if you're curious. <laughs> Welcome to the first Sunday of Advent. The first Sunday of the new year for us Christian folk. I do think it's fascinating that as Christians, we are determined to mark time differently. We're determined to follow a different kind of calendar, different kinds of events. The way in which we are oriented to time is just simply different. It's what makes us peculiar in St. Peter's words. It's what makes us the people of God. Advent is that space between all spaces. It's that place of anticipation, that place of longing, the place of desire. Advent is specifically the announcement that even though Christ has come, we wait for him to come again. And while we wait, we hope. We say that contrary to all of the evidence, Christ is near. If you boil down Advent to the waiting, you realize that all of our lives are lived in Advent. N.T. Wright once said, cut Christmas out of the Bible and you lose three chapters. Try cutting Advent and you lose half the Old Testament and most of the new. Most of our lives are lived in this space. We start the new year here. We start from a place of hope that in spite of whatever is going on in the world, whatever kind of mess is happening in our own lives, God will break in. God will make it right. Still our waiting, it's not a kind of do nothing waiting. Strange as it seems, God has made it so that whatever work God's going to get done in the world between now and the end of the world, it's going to involve you. It's going to take your prayers and your actions, speaking that word of kindness and hope. Which means that Advent is not just about anticipation, it's about becoming the kind of people whose lives are marked by Christ. I heard someone say, if Lent is about learning to die with Christ, Advent is about learning to live with Christ. But as it turns out, living with Christ isn't an altogether happy experience. If living with Christ means having proximity to Christ, to being where Christ is, then it means we will be found in the neighborhood of Jesus. Jesus isn't found in the neighborhood of sunshine and rainbows. Jesus is found in the neighborhood of human confusion, in the neighborhood of human suffering. As Rowan Williams says, Jesus is found defenselessly alongside those in need. If Advent is about moving toward Christ, learning to live where he lives and how he lives, then Advent is about being led into chaos. Advent is about being led into darkness 
and into the neediness of a humanity that has forgotten its own destiny. Advent begins in the dark, as Fleming Rutledge reminds us. I almost thought it was a bit of a prophetic misunderstanding that our first candle wouldn't light today. In contrast to the brightness and the cheer of Christmas, Advent invites us to tell the truth about the state of things, about the world, about our pain, about the darkness that we experience. Of course, there is good darkness and bad darkness. In the night, as we mentioned during our candle lighting this morning, we are invited to rest. We're given shelter at night from the heat and noise, the busyness that vies for our attention. In the darkness of the womb, there is the place where life can happen. Darkness can be a place of intimacy, of closeness, of knowing and being known. Remember, Nicodemus comes to Jesus when? In the night. He comes to him at night. And oftentimes we assume that he's doing this out of secrecy, but we shouldn't. He could have come in the night because darkness makes that kind of closeness possible. Darkness can either be created good by God or made good by us. Think of it this way. The, the rest that comes in darkness is a created good, the way that God intended created by God with us, in us, and for us. But for someone like St. John of the Cross, who experienced what he calls the dark night of the soul, that's a darkness that's made good by us making it a season of blessing, a season of intimacy, a season of empowerment. Darkness can be a gift. Usually when we think of darkness, we associate it with evil, with the places and the people for whom there is no light. We think of the work of death against us, the loss of someone that we love, a terminal diagnosis, the violence done to us that leads to brokenness and to isolation and to restlessness. But even the bad darkness the darkness that comes when we are suffering that work of death against us, it can be made into good as we make our suffering holy. This is the work of life for us. It takes shape the challenge and the difficulties that bring out of us some kind of untapped potential as we engage that work of making the dark good. Advent begins in the dark, we're told, but that doesn't have to mean it begins in isolation, surrounded by death or without hope. Advent begins in the dark, and so we learn to see the darkness. We learn to acknowledge it for what it is and what it can be. We have to see the dark, but that's not enough. We see the dark, but then we have to learn how to see in the dark. 
Darkness, by definition, is the absence of light. But then we hear Jesus' words today, what to do in preparation for his arrival, how to be Advent people. And he tells us this, keep awake, be aware, stay alert. I think for most of us, we've heard this command from Jesus primarily as threat. You better keep awake. Don't fall asleep or bad things will happen. Which makes us kind of second guess the goodness of Christ coming at all. It's like this, my, my kids are never hesitant to fall asleep for fear of good dreams. It's the bad dreams that they don't want to fall asleep to. But Jesus tells us in those days, after that suffering, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. So keep awake. Of course I'm going to stay awake. That sounds horrible. And so we kind of think that if we stay awake, we can keep all of that at bay. Or at least it won't sneak up on us and catch us unawares. How's that for longing for Christ's return? How is that for anticipating the life of the world to come? Remember what Jesus said, that the son of man will come with what? With great power and with glory. Jesus is always glorious and coming in glory. But it's his glory, which is altogether different from what we fancy as glory. We think of glory as achievements, as honor, prestige. But when we see the glory of the incarnation, of the word made flesh, the glory that's revealed is in the crucified Christ, the suffering servant, the one who comes and has to be swaddled and nursed and tended to and cared for. He is the one who identified with the last, the lost, the least, the little, and the dead. That is the glory that Christ comes with. What does that mean for us? Jesus tells us we must learn to be tender. We must learn to be tender. Again, remember what Jesus said about how you will know that he's near. He said to us, from the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender, you know that summer is near. As soon as the branch becomes tender. Once we see Christ's glory, not in the future sense, but once we recognize his glory as the crucified Christ, we can become tender as he is. His tenderness, his tender mercies, his attentiveness to us. We must learn to be tender. As we face the darkness of the world and the darkness of our own lives, we have to learn to recognize his nearness 
and tender responses so that we don't resist what Christ is doing for us. And in the same way, we have to remain tender to the suffering so that we can see what Christ is doing to them and for them. As we witness Jesus engage the suffering of those that he walked with, he ate with, cried with, we can trust that he engages our suffering all the same, not condemning you for it, not telling you to just have a little more faith. No, Jesus is tender with you. Jesus is merciful with you. Do not be afraid, he says again and again. We have to learn to recognize his nearness because we can expect to be his nearness to others when we are tender toward them. That's how we stay alert. That's how we keep awake. If we can learn how to do that, if we can learn to engage the suffering of others with the same tenderness that Christ has shown us, Christ will be near. He will be present. And it's in that way that keep awake isn't a threat to us, but keep awake is a call to a joyful expectation. Christ could be here anytime, so long as we stay tender toward one another. I wanna share with you a short excerpt from Eddie Hillesum. Eddie was a Dutch Jew who was murdered at Auschwitz in December of 1943, 80 years ago this month. She was known as the thinking heart of the barracks. And you'll see why that title is fitting. She wrote this. There is no hidden poet in me just a little piece of God that might grow into poetry. And a camp needs a poet, one who experiences life there, even there as a bard and is able to sing about it. At night, as I lay in the camp on my plank bed, surrounded by women and girls gently snoring, dreaming aloud, quietly sobbing and tossing and turning, Women and girls who often told me during the day, we don't want to think, we don't want to feel, otherwise we are sure to go out of our minds. I was sometimes filled with an infinite tenderness and lay awake for hours letting all the many, too many impressions of a much too long day wash over me. And I prayed, let me be the thinking heart of these barracks. And that is what I want to be again, the thinking heart of a whole concentration camp. I lie here so patiently and now so calmly again that I feel quite a bit better already. I feel my strength returning to me. I've stopped making plans and worrying about risks. Happen what may, it is bound to be for the good. We don't want to think, we don't want to feel, otherwise we're sure to go out of our minds. This is the world that we live in. If we're honest, 
This is usually our posture toward the suffering and the pain and brokenness of the world. We don't want to keep awake to that reality, to those needs, to that depth of suffering. Because we think if we do, we will surely lose our minds. A world that's so shot through with pain. We're convinced if we were ever going to pay attention, it would drive us mad. Sometimes even the pain of our own lives. What Eddie Hillisum knew and what we have to learn is to be aware of the darkness, but be awake to the coming of the light of Christ. And the way that we do that, the way we do that is by remaining tender, by allowing the infinite tenderness of Jesus to take up residency in our lives, to be a thinking heart in the middle of a people that would rather look away or disregard the realities that they're facing, maybe because some of them truly are too unbearable. We stay tender to their suffering because it's that tenderness that can transform the darkness of evil to the dark night of the soul where goodness and intimacy can take root. The Psalms attest to this. Psalm 139 reminds us, if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the night wraps itself around me, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day. The darkness is as light to you. Advent begins in the dark. But if we can stay tender, infinitely tender, we will find ourselves awake, ready to expect Christ's nearness to us and to others. If we can stay tender, Christ's coming in glory will be nothing but joy. If we can stay tender, we will learn to see in the dark. This is how we're people of hope. Amen.